0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone? I'm Chris from Weekly Games Chat. Along with my co-hosts, Sean and John, we cover the latest video games every Wednesday for your listening pleasure. We also make sure to rant about the latest movies, TV shows, and happenings in the sports world. If you like the show, catch one of our live streams on Twitch, follow us on Twitter, Or even take the biggest jump of all and join our community on Discord. All found by simply searching Weekly Games Chat. Until then, I'll simply say game on in your mom's box. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network.
1: i Argonauts, and welcome to another retro gaming podcast. This is episode 145 of the Rcast. I am your host, David Gilson, and with me is a man who's going to overtake Jack Black with his own YouTube channel, Robert Workman.
2: Oh, yes, because I have that much overflowing personality, don't you know? I, I don't <laughs> I don't have the facial hair to keep up with him, so I'll happily let him take that throat.
1: I mean, um, it's not like you can't, though, you know? Is this is what I'm saying.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, but I don't. Oh, come on. I, I, there is no way I could sing a good Tenacious D song if I tried, so come on. Fair,
1: fair. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, uh, so anyway, we did kind of do a recording on this a while back, but unfortunately it didn't take because David's computer hates all of us, I suppose. I, I don't <laughs> know what the deal is there. we so has but... some
1: technical difficulties for sure, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> but but we're, we're giving this a, a take two, if you will. Who do we got in the show tonight there, David?
1: Yeah, so with us is Patrick Hickey Jr., who is the author of The Minds Behind the Game. So how's it going there, Pat? What's up, guys? How you doing? I just want everyone to know that the
3: first time I was on the show, I was sexy as hell. <laughs> well, who's to say they're
1: not still going to be sexy on this show?
3: I'm, I'm going to be sexier than I was before. There so I go. I just want everyone to know that the first time... I was sexy. Yeah. <laughs> all
1: right.
2: Good luck keeping up with me because, you know, I, I put it all out there when it comes to our shows.
3: Got some Justin some Timberlake's on the show here now, yeah. <laughs> Coming from a man that said he has problems growing hair on his face, I think I'm okay. I,
2: Oh, hold on. I did not say. Hold on. I never said no. I had problems growing hair on my face. It's just that I cannot do it the way Jack Black does it.
1: Yeah, well, he's got the difference. hobo beard going on. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I do have some beard abilities. I'm not David, okay? I just beard. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you what. You do have more facial hair than Soldier Boy because I, uh, I don't know what's with this guy, David. I mean, like, you know, a few weeks ago, he backed down because, you know, he said Nintendo wasn't going to do shit against him, and then Nintendo mm-hmm. did shit against him. Now he's <laughs> back again. He's... He's got another game console out there, um, which appears to be ripping off the PlayStation Vita, the soldier game handheld. Uh, This is something that he just updated his storefront with. Uh, As you can see it, based on the link that we have there in the chat, it does look exactly like a blue PlayStation Vita here. It's priced at $200, which he (laughs) notes is a reasonable price.
1: (laughs) It's not. <laughs> we got Patrick cracking up over here.
0: Oh, Seriously.
2: Man. And, it, and it, listen to these features. It has a built-in camera for photo and video, TV output for gaming and movies, PC camera support, and a 4.3-inch by 9 HD screen with 480 by 272 resolution, which makes no sense. It pretty much contradicts just, itself. It,
3: it's just like his career. It's stuck in 2009. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. to
2: mention the fact that this handheld on other sites from Alibaba is like 30 bucks. So. But
1: wait, Robert. It can also support JPEGs, and PNGs. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> oh, my. God. Wow! <laughs> oh Boy,
2: my God. <laughs> you're telling me I could post pictures anywhere? Gosh! I only if only I had a phone to do something like that. If oh, only!
1: Man. If only! <laughs>
2: if only! Wow! No, this just sells itself, does it not?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we figured that Soldier Boy would be out of the gaming market entirely after his uh, failed attempt um, at trying to rip off the. Uh, I think it was at like, the NES or SNES classics, basically, with like the Alibaba, like like, like you know, it's like machines, uh, like they were like kind of the uh, Chinese, you you know, it's like knockoff basically of those retro consoles um, so instead now he is uh, kind of back and better than ever i guess uh with um with the ps vita kind of knockoffs that he has here which are very clearly just a p you know just ps vita knockoffs and um i believe um like at the at the time like when this was uh when like the article anyway was written on comicbook.com here uh, that the um, the consoles themselves are selling for ninety nine dollars, so they're like half off, at least for like a limited time. But they're probably back up to two hundred now at this point. Oh right?
2: yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if if Sony
1: can't make money on the Vita, why a Soldier Boy? Money <laughs> Fair enough, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like it's just kind of like ridiculous that you know, again, he's back at this, and I guess he's got to try his um, you know try his luck, I guess, against Sony in this case, because uh, obviously Nintendo is a lot more. Adamant about protecting their own IPs uh, than um, you know than like other companies are like generally, um, but it would be interesting to see what Sony's response is if they do make a response to this. Um, you know, I I, I just I just don't see like how they can't really in this case, especially like, after like the uh, you know the amount of coverage that you know that I got like last time.
3: I was I was hearing rumors that like Sony was going to send this big onion to to his house <laughs> like in in a ghee.
1: Yeah and he was just going to be like
3: Dur-cha! oh
1: i thought he was yeah, gonna no cry way. some more about it so. <laughs> mm-hmm. some kick punch yes yeah. yes indeed yeah get some a parappa mm-hmm. in there instead um, of master
2: mm-hmm. onion it's like master celery head or something yeah yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah master master cucumber exactly yeah. exactly yeah so i don't know i mean like it, we'll kind of like wait and see i guess like what sony says about this if they do say anything about it um you know, it's just kind of ridiculous that Soldier Boy is still like, you know, still trying to do this, especially after he like attacked fans like on Twitter and everything like about it. So, wait, Soldier Boy has to... fans? Uh, apparently, mm-hmm. at <laughs> uh, least what's I... what's left over anyway. I, I thought
3: they all got hypothermia from the super soaker back in the day. <laughs> yeah.
1: For sure, for sure. So I guess we'll wait and see, like on, on what Sony does, you know, if they do anything in this in this case. Uh, but one thing that we know for sure is coming out though is Metroid Prime Four, and it seems like we might actually have a, a release date uh, according to like a leak that came out here uh, saying that um, it was from like a Czech retailer actually uh, called Super Gamer uh, that actually put up the release date for November 29, twenty nineteen. And honestly, that date makes sense, especially if this is going to be like the big Nintendo title that's going to come out during the holiday season.
2: Yeah, I mean it does make sense because Nintendo likes to like pace out their releases and considering mm-hmm. we haven't heard anything aside from maybe animal crossing, that seems like to be the big hit for the holiday season. And uh, also leads to speculation. We might see Metroid prime trilogy during the summer as well. Mm. Um, now, of course, Nintendo hasn't confirmed anything and this date could easily be a placeholder, but I mean, it makes perfect sense for them. Imagine releasing like animal crossing over the course of the summer and then whatever they announced d three for the fall. And then maybe a Luigi's mansion three. And then obviously Metroid Prime for the winter, or perhaps of 3. But whatever they have planned, I mean, they've, they've already got a big year going. They just released New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. They're setting up Yoshi's Crafted Island for March. You know, they've, they've got a number of other releases on the way as well Animal Crossing, Luigi's Mansion, and whatever they decide to announce at E3. So, I mean, like, there's there's a lot on their plate, but Metroid. Isn't prime, there a
3: mainline, uh, Pokemon game on the way in there 2019 is. Mm-hmm. as well? And yeah. That could be, so that could wow. come
2: out in October. I mean, if mm-hmm. you double stack like Pokemon and Metroid, I mean, that's, that's like a one, two punch that nobody can yeah. escape. So yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I could definitely see like Pokemon coming out like sometime later that year and then having Metroid prime four come out like in like November. Um, you know, and, and and as you mentioned there too with like Metro Prime trilogy, I think that would be like a really good move, honestly, because uh, we haven't seen that since the Wii, actually. So mm-hmm. um, it would be really good, just, you know, to get people like back up to speed, really, on the Metro Prime uh, franchise, really. In this case, um, when 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 Metro Prime four drops, so it'd be kind of the same thing, I guess, that they did with like uh, with Bayonetta one and two, uh, you know, that they released on Switch earlier.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be a great business move, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what gets announced. We just got to be patient, as usual.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so the next story we have here is on Resident Evil 2 Remake, uh, which is actually a story on your site there, Robert, uh, with comicbook.com, um, where someone was actually testing out the lowest settings on PC, uh, for, for like the remake. And I believe this was like done with the, uh, with like the demo. Um, but basically the lowest settings makes it look very much close to uh, how like the original PS1 game looked.
2: Yeah, these guys are very loyal to the classic code of Resident Evil 2. Another thing that they they announced uh, just yesterday is that they would be bringing back Hunk, aka the Grim Reaper, for his own side game, along with Tofu tofu's
1: is very, back uh, baby Tofu's back and
2: your tofu ear than ever before but yes. indeed um I, i've heard about this before like where they where they did settings to make it look like the playstation one game granted it plays a lot better you don't have tank controls which is nice but mm-hmm. uh, you know th- this is pretty cool it's a neat little feature to have and uh it'll be interesting to see what it does but of course a lot of people are buying this because it's you know a graphic showcase. So I don't know how many people are actually going to do this, but
1: I mean, it's a remake in every sense of the word, really. Like, I don't know if you played like the demo or Robert, but like the, the demo, like really kind of showcases like how much of a remake that this actually is. And honestly, it feels like a brand new game, even though it is a remake of the original.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. I mean, you only have thirty minutes to play the demo, mm-hmm. and I remember like some people just running through just so they could shoot people in the stomach and then watch them crawl around on the floor. Just to- that GIF <laughs> that went around on,
1: on like Twitter, yeah, that was a crazy GIF. Right there,
2: yeah, so. I mean, yeah, I mean, there was like one point two million downloads, but only about. Thirty percent of the people that download the demo played it through till the end. That's how many Mm -hmm. people were experimenting with this demo, and it's it is pretty wild. And the trailer also, you know, confirms Tofu and Hunk making their return. Mm -hmm. So,
1: and you can watch that GIF right now on your Soldier Game handhelds. (laughs) Why would you know in four eighty p? That's right. (laughs)
2: Yeah, you want to talk about low resolution settings? Get yourself a Soldier Boy handheld.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. Uh, So, Pat, I don't know if you got to play the Resident Evil Two remake demo at all, or. No, I haven't played it yet. I'm
3: definitely looking forward to playing it. I've kind of had some uh bad experiences with the uh Resident Evil series. Mm,
1: okay. So
3: uh I played uh Resident Evil VR at Comic Con a couple of years ago. Like I got like the press uh the press uh, opportunity I got to play it for like forty five minutes and I almost died. So <laughs> I was like, just like covered in sweat. My heart was racing, and I'm just like, they're like, "Oh, you want to interview the developer now?" And I'm like, eh, "Can I have a second to not die?" Right, right. <laughs> no, I. And all jokes aside, I cannot wait to play it. It's just uh, I've been a busy bee working on uh, the next couple of books in the series, so I haven't had nearly as much time to to game as I like. So, but that's definitely a game that uh, I'm interested to see. How it turns out. Not a big fan of ports or remakes, but this is a game that definitely deserves the treatment. For sure, for sure. That's
2: actually a topic that we covered the first time we tried to record. We're going to get into Mm -hmm. that when we talk about like you know cult classics making a return or whatever. That's pretty much our main subject tonight. But yeah, I I know you're not exactly a fan of ports, but remakes are a whole different ballgame. Sure, absolutely. When you
3: you change the controls, I mean, that, that changes it entirely i love resident evil 2 i think it's a great game but yeah i mean you i'm sure you guys remember when you're when you were in a corner of the screen zombies were coming at you you were screwed it was like mr mime in a gunfight you know, <laughs> like, so for them to fix that just changes the gameplay entirely so i'm super excited to see how that comes out
1: yeah so like that actually like makes you like a little concerned actually for like mr mime in the, in the detective pikachu movie in that case like if he's got like <laughs> mr mime in like a gunfight <laughs>
2: He could be protected by walls. It's fine.
1: I mean, if it's all That's in his mind, yeah. But like, it seems like he has like the power to actually make these walls actually happen. At least according to like the trailer, anyway. Well.
3: Yeah, that trailer is adorable. Shove it! Oh my god. <laughs>
2: he says you could shove it. Uh, but anyway, the reason the reason I bring up, um, you know, the power of ports working on a new platform is because that also leads to our next news story. Um, Dragon's Lair Trilogy will be releasing for Nintendo Switch this week. It's going to be on sale starting on the 17th. And it basically brings together Dragon's Lair, Dragon's Lair 2, Time Warp, and Space Ace to the Switch. Now, I mean, these have previously been ported to the Wii and the PlayStation 4, so it does technically count as a port, but I like the idea of being able to take this game with me wherever I go without having to worry about downloading 19 different things on um, on my phone. You know, oh, I would yeah. prefer to have everything in good accessibility. You know, you can watch. There are probably different options that they're going to throw in there. Maybe that behind-the-scenes thing they filmed with Don Blue, so I think it's going to be worth the money for those that don't have it yet, and a neat little history lesson, because it's like you can't really find the arcade games anymore unless you do some really, really, really looking for, for it, I guess.
1: But uh, Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a nice like, way to preserve the classics. Yeah, like the last time I personally played the Lair games, I uh, was actually through testing the uh, PlayStation Now service, actually, since like that's uh you know, all like there are like online service basically playing games online. Um, and, like, it's, like, their, their back catalog, basically, but, like, they had, uh, Dragon's Lair on there, and I remember kind of testing it out with that, and, um, it, like, worked great, but, like, it was just kind of fun to kind of go back to, like, Dragon's Lair after, like, so long, and I, I think the only other time I saw it, like, in recent history was at, like, an arcade, like, seeing the actual arcade cabinet for Dragon's Lair, because uh, that's just, like, not something that you see every day, so um this this would be like you know a, a great way for people who like who who like own a switch and honestly at this point who who doesn't you know um it's uh it would be great like for uh you know for them to like to like experience it if they haven't yet or to experience it again and have it on the go as you mentioned uh you know if, if they have so
2: yeah, yeah i mean it's a good way to, to to relive the classics there i mean you know some people may not be happy that you know oh, why would i play you know fmv games on the switch but i mean the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is it's expanding to a new audience and Every game that seems to come out for the Switch sells better on the Switch than, like, on the mm-hmm. PS4 or whatever. So I could totally... And these were the
1: original quick-time event games, yeah, too.
2: these are the ones that really got the genre off the board. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been a fan of them since I was a kid, so I'm in.
3: <laughs> Have you guys ever played Brain Dead 13?
2: Oh, God, that game was just not
3: good because <laughs> it's like i remember uh, when the playstation first came out that was like one of those big box playstation games and everyone was kind of like oh it looks a little bit like dragon's lair and blah, blah 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 and it, it was just not the same but it was still it was interesting to see that gameplay on the PS One.
2: Yeah, it, but, it just, but you're it, right. It was
3: it was garbage.
2: It was. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like it was just terrible. I mean, like you know, their idea of a purple, okay, I'm going to sit in this um this uh, salon chair and watch as someone's my fingers get chopped off or my head gets mm-hmm. chopped off or a spider sucks the. And then there's a dude named Fritz who keeps trying to kill me, never explains why. He's just trying to kill me. Okay, mm-hmm. hi, Fritz.
1: Welcome. That's going to lead us now to the part of the show called What Are You Playing? we gets some games we've all been playing or have recently been. So, Pat, with you being our special guest, why don't you tell us what you've been playing?
3: Uh, Pokemon Let's Go, Pikachu, um, Monster Boy, which I've, I'm enjoying uh, tremendously. Oh, yeah. um, I'm trying to think of what else. I downloaded a whole bunch of indie games. The other day, there's a game I forgot the name of it. It's like Mamarosa or something like that.
1: Oh, um, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Like it has like a, it's like kind of like a pixel art style to it. Yes, and, there's and it, like it, a, it there's like a cat in it. It, pl-
3: it plays it plays like uh, Cave Story, and right. uh, and it's like it's it's got a good score. It just it literally just came out last week. So if if you're a fan of Cave Story, that's like something that'll immediately like it'll immediately resonate with you. I also, uh, I downloaded like five or six games off the eShop and like night trap was one of them, which was pretty cool. But, (laughs) um, but, uh, there's a game called roar and it's, it's probably the worst game I've ever played on the switch. And I've played a lot of the visual novels that are on the switch because D three sends them to me. Okay. And and those, those are really, um, unique is the word I'm probably looking for. Um, but this game roar it's like roar the dinosaur it, i have no there's like no story it's it's absolutely putrid i don't know what the backstory is behind it and i hate saying games are shitty
1: but but it's just like wow oh is it called roar king of the pride is that the game
3: no 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 it's like you play like a, as a green t rex
1: Oh, well, I know which okay, one
3: you are yes.
2: talking about. Yeah, I was looking like some. I, I gave this a look a while ago. I, I didn't get to. I didn't buy it or anything. I just i looked a video of it, and on the one hand, I thought, well, okay, this could be good on a cheesy Godzilla level, and then I saw like yes, later yes. playthroughs, and uh, this
1: is That's- oh, it's roar, it's roar Jurassic edition. I see. It's like roar with like two R's at the end. Yes, I see
0: it. Yeah, yeah.
3: But, but it was just like the enemies are awful. Like it, it the the story doesn't make any sense. I am just like. Wow, and as the voice of a T-Rex in a video game. I was kind of like <laughs> I want I want to see how their Rex like stacks up against our Rex and I was just like, man, like relentless Rex would beat the living crap out of this Rex. Well,
2: you know it it <laughs> almost sounds like Theodore Rex the movie.
1: Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, but um yeah, that's 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 too bad though. I mean, like as uh it, it does look kind of cool at least like with like, the art style anyway. But... Yeah,
3: that's why I downloaded it, you know, and it's like they uh they the way they pinned it in the uh the trailer, like in the the little text, like it was like this open world rampage inspired type of thing. Like everything's destructible, and I was like, "All right, yeah. I could do that," but it's totally, it's totally not. So they got they got nine dollars from me that I'll never get back.
1: <laughs> oh man, well I'm sorry to hear that. At least, but at least, right. at least, at least you're like warning everyone else out there. So. <laughs>
2: yeah, you need to watch out for games like that. Like I, I'm picked up this one called the Deer God, and it was supposed to be
0: a really cool Zen meditation.
2: Oh, you don't story. like the Deer so, God? I didn't care for it. It just bored me. I don't know why you got
3: you got to keep playing it. It's That's very not, it's very slow pace. It's yeah, a very slow pace game. Yeah, I'm
2: just game. not yeah. a fan of it. I, I just don't know. I it just didn't stick to me like I was expecting it to. It
3: uh, they came out on the Vita and the PS4 like two years before it came out on the Switch, mm-hmm. and like th- that game like really like saved my Vita, you know. Oh, like, like my keep Vita, playing it, yeah. Yeah, it was like a tampon at this point. And Obviously, <laughs> I, like. <laughs> Like,
1: like, I don't use tampons, uh, so that's
3: how much I use the Vita. I don't yeah, we and, brought up uh, tampons with the deer <laughs> you know, The visuals the of, of a Vita
1: used as, like, a tampon are, like, circling in my, my head right now. <laughs>
3: like, my beautiful, lustrous beard, so I, like, you know, I don't need a tampon. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs>
1: All right, all right. How about you there, Robert? Hang on, I'm trying
2: to get the image of a tampon out of my head. <laughs> a Vita uh, tampon. That just,
3: that just says that just says Sony right across, and you can see like the blue liquid like pouring on it. <laughs> yeah, not helping. God,
1: well, it could be like another feature of the Soldier Game handheld. In that case, <laughs> and you can watch the video in 480p. Okay. There you go. <laughs>
2: Everything looks better in 480p. Um, yeah. Literally P four eighty P. Okay. Anyway, um, the big game that I've been playing this week before I was brutally disgusted is uh, is Anamusha Warlords. Uh, this is one that just came out for Xbox One, PlayStation Four, Nintendo Switch, and PC. Uh, I got the physical Nintendo Switch version through a nice deal through eBay. Nice. So I, I'm running out of hard drive space. Leave me alone. And,
1: mm-hmm. and it's, a great, it's a pretty
2: great game. You know the graphics aren't the best when it's not an hd transfer it's just basically a revamp and the soundtracks changed because apparently i guess the composer said he was a fraud i don't know what happened there but
1: (laughs) all right but the
2: game is a lot easier to i mean it's a lot more simpler to grasp than it was back in the ps2 build it it, you know defensive skills work a lot better the action feels a lot better so i mean this is Definitely twenty dollars well spent if you were into the original Onimusha games, or if you're just are like, the you're...
1: controls like updated? In the yeah, sense, a little or...
2: bit. Yeah, they, they they've got a lot better interactivity in terms of like you know defensive moves and striking hmm. at enemies. It, it feels much more balanced. I
3: still and... have the uh, motion activated samurai sword to play oh, Onimusha. Yeah. We were hmm. talking
2: about that. You had the samurai sword, and somebody else had the mm-hmm. chainsaw. And it was... yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they have that for the switch. I they they probably have motion controls. I haven't tried it yet. I've been I'm the traditional guy, so that's how mm-hmm. I look. But uh yeah, I mean I really like it on I've also been playing um Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes. Uh this nice. is the follow-up to, of course, the hit No More Heroes series by Suda 51. Uh, this is more of a hack and slash style game, but it's done very well. It covers a number of genres. You you play on this Death Drive MK2 console with all these different genres covered like, you know, Lampoon's Resident Evil and all these other franchises that you hack and slash through. It's a, it a top get down a little, game too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it is top down. Um, I mean, it's done in 3D, though. You can use also. There's also side-scrolling segments as well.
1: Oh, cool. Okay.
2: I think the only annoying thing is you have to keep recharging your sword, like in the original No More Heroes, so you have to like press in the left analog stick and then shake the right one until you're recharged. And when you're surrounded by enemies, that's not fun. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but other than that, the co-op is really good, and the game's got a lot of style to it. I, I enjoy it. And then the other game I'm playing right now is Ace Combat 7, Skies Unbound. Oh, yeah. uh, finally coming out. I remember, David... Like, what was it? 2016 PlayStation. It feels like ages ago, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We we were playing this and discovering on PlayStation VR, and I'm like, gasp, and and now it's finally out, finally. And uh, it's pretty good. Uh, I'm still working on my final thoughts with my review. It'll be up on Friday over there at comicbook.com slash gaming. But if you love the series, pick it up and keep muttering to yourself – Danger zone
1: Lana. There you go. Danger, Danger
2: zone, zone. <laughs> Yeah. Lana! <laughs> all
1: right there, David. What when do you what need do you, for speed? That's <laughs> right. That's right. I,
2: I am dangerous. Uh what are you playing there, David? Uh
1: so just been like been, uh, been playing two games lately actually for uh, for like a review actually for Nintendo So you should be able to see these reviews up by the time that you're hearing this episode. Uh but one is for Y two K a postmodern RPG, uh which if you see the like trailers for this game or if you've like played it at all, it might give you some some, like earthbound vibes at first, but this game is very much like its own thing. I have some very specific issues with the game, like namely, namely just with like the performance. I feel like, and this might be specific for the Switch version because I'm I I am reviewing it for uh, for, for like, the Switch. And um, there's just like some like performance issues which can get in the way, like with the combat mechanics. Because so basically the way that, that like combat works is all like very like timing based and like having to hit, uh, you know, hit the button at like the proper times and things like that. And sometimes you'll just have like frame drops kind of happen every so often. Uh, wow. and I was actually comparing this with, uh, with our friend Evan actually, who's actually reviewing this game on PS4 and he doesn't seem to be coming across this himself. So this might be exclusive for the switch version. No,
2: wait, um, which game is it? Sorry.
1: Uh, for, for Y2K, a postmodern RPG. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's like an indie RPG basically. But, mm-hmm. um, otherwise the style is you know, it really cool at like, the style of like how it looks as like it takes place in 1999. So like, you know, characters kind of move in a slightly jittery kind of way, but like on purpose in that sense. Um, and also with the fact that like the um, the music, also like the music in this game is so so good. It's uh, it's, it's really like um, it's really unlike anything else, honestly. So like I, I, would, I would highly recommend at the very least check out the uh, like the soundtrack to this game. Um, otherwise there are just like some technical issues with this game that like just really kind of hold it back unfortunately uh otherwise i really like the idea of it like the uh you know the combat mechanics in it um they can get tiresome at at points especially like when um like you know like one specific example i'll give actually for for the combat is that if like an enemy is uh doing like kind of a group attack like he's like attacking everyone in your party um you have to do the timing based like mechanics for each and every character and things like that just really kind of slows down the game and slows down like the just combat in general and it just kind of just wears you down like in that in that sense and not in a good way um so just like little things like that very specific things but otherwise like you know it, it is like a game worth, worth checking out i'd say um and aside from that also I've been checking out uh, the shrouded isle uh which is a game i remember seeing at pax east but i never actually got to play it there but Basically the Straded Isle, if you've seen it at all anyway, like it has a very uh very unique art style to it because like it's basically very like green and yellow, but you can also kinda like change like which color combinations that you use if you go into like the settings, but the default is green and yellow. And basically you're playing as like this religious leader, basically, who's like overlooking a village. You're trying to kind of like I guess, like, keep, like, your control over the village, like, the people in the village anyway, um, and you have, like, these different uh, houses uh, in the village that kind of, like, over you know overrule everything uh, to basically kind of keep them happy, but also each and every, like, season you have to, like, sacrifice someone in your village, um, so you have to kind of, like, make, like, the right uh, move with that as far as I like, kind of... Uh, I know keeping like your stats like with the people in line wh- while also keeping like the uh the, the you know the different houses happy as well it's it's a lot of management it's a very very management heavy kind of game it's very very interesting though and like definitely one i would you know I would, I would recommend to kind of check out for anyone who's like into uh any sort of like strategy or like management style games like if you know if you're into like sim city or whatever um this will definitely rack your brain for sure <laughs> so it's, uh, it's it's a really cool one and um, speaking of racking your brain, I have a game that's kind of like not too far off actually from that genre. It's uh, Party Hard Tycoon on, on Steam. Uh, So manage your own nightclub and Party Hard Tycoon, the most accurate nightclub sim of the year. Expanding upon the AI and hilarious setups of Party Hard, the game takes a tycoon-style look at what what it's like to be a professional party maker. Organize the perfect party, pick a theme to make your event special, place the speakers accurately to drive your guests crazy, and don't forget about security, entertainment, and booze. So if that sounds like a jam, then definitely jump on this. Again, this is for Steam. The code is J9DAX. Y X V C L 5 2 L Q W again that's party hard tycoon on steam enjoy
0: Welcome back to the Stage of
1: History. So with that, we have the Stage of History, which is a celebration of retro titles that deserve a spot, for better or for worse, in the pantheons of history. So basically, since uh, in the main topic for this show, we're going to be talking about like uh, cult classic studios and games and whatnot, um, I will bring up uh, like a couple of like cult classic games here, starting off with Wizardry Proving Grounds of the Mad Overlord. So uh, it's a 1981 role-playing game by SirTech. A beta version of the game was launched during the 1980 Boston Computer Convention. It was the first true party-based RPG, and the same party can be carried over from this game to Wizardry 2 and 3 upon completion. So, it kind of did the Mass Effect thing, uh, like, a little bit before Mass Effect, really. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Pat, like, I was was kind of curious if you played Wizardry at all.
3: Oh, absolutely, and I had to do some research on the Wizardry series because I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but... The Wonder Boy games are heavily influenced by Wizardry. Mm-hmm. So, Wonder Boy started off as kind of like this side scrolling runner, if you've played like the original on the Sega Master System. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened was that when they got to like Wonder Boy and Monster Land, all the developers that were working on the game at the time, the three or four of them, were all playing Wizardry. And they're like, you know what, this like runner is kind of fun, but why don't we make a game more like Wizardry? So, they made kind of like Wonder Boy meets wizardry so they turned it into like a a, a one-player action adventure with like rpg elements which ironically debuted in the arcade so wizardry has influenced a ton of uh franchises absolutely
1: for sure for sure how about you there robert
2: i never played this uh i think when it came out at the time in 1981 i was busy with other stuff i just never really had a chance to get into it i know it released for a number of platforms there was even a turbografx 16 version i believe i just never really got around to it i i heard i missed a lot in terms of like adventure gaming but i mean i was more into stuff that was like on consoles at the time so uh, you know unless i really missed out on it you know and i I understand it was a huge cult favorite though it lasted for several years
1: oh yeah yeah, and, like, it has, like, several sequels and all that stuff, too, for sure. So, like, it's it's still kind of going on. Like, the, the ripples of this game are certainly felt today, like, in, in terms of, like, you know, like, gaming, for sure. Um, so, it definitely has, like a, lot of, you know, like, a lot of influence, which is why it's in the stage of history here. So um, And, like, the next game here, which I'm sure, like, a lot of us have played, for sure, is uh, Skies of Arcadia. So, this is a 2000 role-playing game by Overworks. It was one of the best-reviewed Dreamcast games, despite underperforming in sales. It was ported to the GameCube in 2002, and the English localization team was inspired by film and TV director Josh Whedon, uh, with a dry and sarcastic sense of humor added to the dialogue. So it's uh, kind of like a way to kind of like punch up uh, the the dialogue and like make it kind of like relatable, really. I guess for like Western audiences in in that case, um, and as is the case for like a lot of RPGs, really. Like especially if they're kind of like um, you know very heavy, like in localization, and all that. So um, so Pat, have you played Skies of Arcadia?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. I have a uh, copy on the. Uh dreamcast and i have it on the uh gamecube it's just it's got a really unique visual style to it too Mm -hmm. and uh i have japanese friends and they say that there's there's a lot of like like you said key differences in the story from the uh the original version to the american version it's almost like power rangers in a way Mm -hmm. you know like the original power rangers yeah so but um as far as underperforming, I think pretty much every game underperformed on the Dreamcast. So it just uh, is a really like sad thing when you think about it, how all of these like exclusives to the Dreamcast back in the day, there were some amazing games that, like, those are the games, if anything, that deserve a chance to be remade. So many people missed out on a game like Skies, Skies of Arcadia. That's something I would totally play on the Switch.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, like if um, yeah, because like if the rumors are true, actually about like GameCube games possibly coming over to Switch, I believe through like their online service, um, then we might see Skies of Arcadia come back in that way for sure.
2: I mean, we've been talking like for a while about Sega starting to look more into its classic franchises. I mean, Valkyria came back with um, you know Valkyria Chronicles Four. so I mean, oh, Valkyria, yeah, for, for, yeah, yeah, whatever you call it. But it yeah. was, <laughs> um, you know, it was it was just there's always a consideration that they could really bring it back i mean we heard like last year that you know panzer Dragoons making a comeback with their hd ports even though i don't know who mm. this team is working on it but there's always that opportunity that something could come back so i mean fingers crossed that somebody's considering skies of arcadia the problem is it under- underperformed commercially according to the notes um it was one of the best reviewed dreamcast games it became a cult favorite and all that but because it didn't sell well on the dreamcast and also didn't sell well on the gamecube for some reason i i don't know what it is i think it was just a matter of sega didn't market it the right way but those that yeah. took the time to discover the game really enjoyed what they saw and it became a cult classic i mean like there's a skies of arcadia style racetrack and sonic and all-stars racing transformed along with one of that's the that's right
1: yeah i forgot about that
2: yeah so i mean you know the legacy is definitely there it's just a matter of sega giving another chance because this sucker would sell on switch mm-hmm. easily you know but with the with the role playing crowd. The, The way it is nowadays, you have the nostalgists who remember this game for what it was. And then with the Whedon sort of style, you have people that would hop on board easily. If this was like 20 bucks, no, Mm -hmm. no question.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, RPGs on the Switch just kind of makes sense, really, because um, like I know that was that was actually a big reason why I picked up the PS Vita. Actually, was was for Persona Four, and uh, just like that idea of like having like you know a game that I can always kind of like drop in and drop out of, but like it's just like overarching, like sweeping adventure. In that case, um, you know, it's just like really appealing to me. Like that's why, like uh, I, th- I feel like you know, with uh, with Octopath Traveler that did so well on Switch, um, I, I can definitely see Skies of Arcadia doing the same way for sure.
3: I wanted to just address something really quick, too. Like, I just had, like, the whole light bulb go off when we were talking about games underperforming on the Dreamcast. If my, like, memory serves me correct, I think Sonic Adventure is the best-selling game in Dreamcast uh, history. Yeah, it makes sense. And and it's only sold, like, it sold less than 3 million copies. And that's the best-selling game on the system. And, like, uh, as far as I know, I think, like, Shenmue just barely sold a million Mm
1: copies. So,
3: and that's got to be like top five too. So you're you're talking about like, if you go even on a system that wasn't as successful as the Dreamcast, they definitely have more million sellers, you know? And it's just so sad because Sega totally had the hardware to dominate, but they didn't have the software to go with it. So to think about it, like how many copies did Skies of Arcadia sell? Like it it had to have sold like 200,000 copies or something like that, which is just so sad considering what a solid game it is.
1: Well, I mean, I like, I like, I feel like for Sega, like a lot of it too is like just like timing as well, because like the, yeah. the the PlayStation Two is announced not too long after.
2: Yeah, and also keep in mind, you know, like they're, they're really good at their cult classic stuff. but That doesn't always equate to sales. I mean, take a look at something like uh, Jet Set Radio. I mean, Jet Set Radio was good in terms of being a cult classic, in terms of getting the word out and everything like that. But we don't know exactly how well it sold either. But you know, Sega's still giving it a chance with this Xbox One backward compatibility, and obviously, future having good word of mouth. But I mean, like, it's just one of those things that annoys you. You see these companies take chances on games, but like, how how does that add up to the bottom line?
3: As as far as I know, because I'm trying to remember, and I don't want to cheat, and you'll get you guys will hear me. I start typing and stuff like that, but I'm pretty sure that like Jet Set Radio isn't even in like the top fifteen best selling Dreamcast games of all time, which is really shitty because I mean the game just plays well. It's so pretty. Oh yeah. So, and I'm pretty sure there's a couple of sports games in there because I know for a fact like NFL 2K. Yeah, 2K was games a did, big seller it, for them. Did well for them for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: funny you know like how some games slip under the radar when it comes to sega because i wanted to circle around to another game that didn't really get much advertising but is also considered a cult classic on the Sega genesis front and that's this week's obscura beyond oasis uh this is uh, known in japan and europe as the story of thor successor of light obviously changed here because i guess they didn't want to confuse it with the marvel game or marvel Uh,
1: maybe maybe yeah (laughs) Uh, it was developed
2: by agent um i'm sorry an agency called ancient uh, with producer Yuzo Koshiro, who did music for such games as Zack Razer, Streets of Rage. I mean, this was his first real effort as a game producer. Uh, it was released in the Sega Genesis in 1994 in Japan in the early 1995 in the US, and it follows Prince Ali, who is not related to the Aladdin Prince Ali. Thank
1: you. Prince Ali, no, don't do it. We're gonna get yanked up here. Do <laughs> so he
2: discovers a buried gold amulet, which once belonged to a wizard who waged a long war against the evil wielder of a silver amulet, and it was basically used to create chaos and destruction. While the gold amulet was a uh, the power to summon four different spirits. So this Prince Ali finds himself in the midst of pretty much having to save the world. It was a top-down action game with some elements similar to the Legend of Zelda series. And it was a really well done game. You know, there, there were some certain things with the graphics and stuff, but I mean in terms of the gameplay, this was a really engaging adventure. But like clockwork, Sega didn't give it the advertising it deserved. It had weird box art with some with some eyes on the front looking
1: at me. Like something <laughs> Yeah, you know? it's like eyes like in the sky, basically where were yeah. looking like a mountain. Uh, like, is that Jafar?
2: Yeah. Who is that? You know and, <laughs>
1: Prince Ali! Right, exactly, right? <laughs> uh, where's the GD? Is
2: somewhere? But no, I mean it was a great game. <laughs> It's just that at its time, you know, it was considered more of a of a cult classic, but Sega took a chance on it. Like later, there was a sequel released for Sega Saturn called The Legend of Oasis, which came out two years later, and it, it did good with that crowd too, but it didn't sell incredibly well. But I mean it was well received by the cult audience that Sega has. And the cool thing about this game is that you can actually play it nowadays because it's available in so many places. You can play it on Sonic's Ultimate Genesis collection for Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. It's part of the Sega Forever mobile lineup and it's in Sega Genesis Classics for Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4 and PC. So this, unlike Skies of Arcadia, this is more accessible and it gives you a second chance to kind of discover what it's about, and I I think it's worth it. You know, I, I obviously it's not a traditional role playing game; it's more like an action adventure style game. But it's a really well done one, and it kind of makes me wonder what would happen if you know there was a story of Thor three. I mean, million
3: dollar question: Can I play it on the Soldier Boy? No,
2: you <laughs> yes. In, in Trailblazing, you can't play uh, the story of Thor on it, but you can play um, Thor's Day. I believe that's available. I don't know
1: no there you go (laughs) in 480p
2: in glorious 480p Um, indeed indeed. but yeah um, I think it's a fun game I don't know have have either of you ever played Beyond Oasis
1: I have not no
2: wow see that's what I'm talking about I mean like you probably just let it overlook because you know when it was introduced there was really not much hype for it was there
1: no but I mean like knowing that it's on like the Genesis Classics collection that's definitely one I'll have to check out very soon for sure
0: yeah I know I gotta believe
2: in the way it kind of ties in with our, with our main subject, in which we talk about basically um, cult classics, right? I mean, because, mm-hmm. you know, like, stuff like this is easy to overlook. When, when you see, like, games that are by cult classic studios and, and stuff that, you know, normally isn't translated well. Like, you know, when Gunstar Heroes was introduced for the Sega Genesis, uh, EGM accidentally mislabeled it as a sequel to Lethal Enforcers. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not how this works, you idiots.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, I mean, it just leaves you wondering, like, you know, What would have been different had, you know, studios really cared more about their cult classics, you know? And then that kind of leads into our subject,
1: obviously. Yeah. So like... I figure, like with like the main topic, um, you know, we're we're going to talk about like cult classic studios and like games and all that, right? Um, so 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 I guess we'll, like we'll like you know start off actually with uh what makes like a studio basically like like a cult classic in a lot of ways. And um, Patrick, like I know that you like you know you've you've written like a book actually like on, on this very topic, uh, which is why you're kind of like the forefront really as far as like the expert on this. So uh, can you can you like explain a little bit of, as far as like uh, from your point of view, I guess like what makes a studio a cult classic?
3: I think what makes a studio a cult classic is being able to churn out quality games, but not necessarily get the mainstream recognition mm-hmm. of a of a AAA company. So, um, absolutely, like Gunstar Heroes would fall into that category, you know. Um, just or or maybe like games that are uh, are ahead of their time. So, I'll give you like a great example of a cult game, and you guys may think I'm crazy, but absolutely, Parappa the Rappa. Oh yeah. Um, because i mean they totally redefined the uh rhythm uh genre and then at the same time too to this to this day i'm pretty sure they're the only rhythm game that actually has like story connected to their to their game i mean if you play rock band and you play you know, uh, Guitar Hero. It's all about like high scores and stuff like that. But with Parappa, if you just finished a level, you got to advance and see more of the story, yeah. and that's where like the the big payoff
1: was. I mean, I so, like I, I would say like within those parameters, like the closest other thing I could really think of is the a Groove series. <laughs> really, yeah. And <laughs> um, mm-hmm. for
2: that matter, I'll circle back around to Gunstar Heroes because that brings us to Treasure, uh, which is I believe is a really great example of a cult classic game studio. Here's a guy mm-hmm. Here's a studio that didn't really make games based on marketability, but just On hardcore values, you you take a look at their library, you know, Gradius 5, Ikaruga, Radiant Silvergun, Guardian Heroes, Gunstar Heroes, even weird stuff like Stretch Panic. They weren't made to be marketable titles. They were made for like a certain type of audience to enjoy. Like I said, Gunstar Heroes wasn't really marketed well. But look, now it's on every single Sega collection because they understand how much people love it you know and it's like they realize too late just what they had on their hands but they're trying to take advantage of it the best they can you know it's it's i think that's a great example of a studio i mean there are number ones there are other studios out there like wolf team comes to mind as well you know it was stuff like uh with you know gary's and and uh Ernest evans oh god that game was oh yeah that game with the physics were ridiculous like my legs moved separate from my body for some reason but still Ernest (laughs) evans The Valis series too.
1: Yeah, it's kind it's it's kind of like Octodad, I guess, before Octodad. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you
2: know, for that matter, you know, the Valis series comes to mind because that was really popular with the cult audience too, if not really mainstream focus. So that kind of counts as cult as well.
1: For sure, for sure. Um, I know, like one that comes to mind for me actually is Clover Studios. Uh, that's uh, that's actually like, one of my like favorite ones. I'd say as far as like cult studios for sure, um, especially since like they made the um, like you know they, they made the the Okami games and the Beautiful Joe games as well. Uh, they're also behind God Hand, which uh, I was never like personally like a big fan of. But I know people like who are just diehard fans of that game, and um, a lot of people are like calling for like a re- you know like a remake of that game or have like a you know have like a proper sequel to that game of some sort. Um, but yeah, with with like, Clover Studio, I mean like they're they're very closely aligned with like Capcom. So I believe Capcom owns like um, like the, the properties from that after that studio dissolved. Um, but uh, it's you know, it would be really cool to see like those you know those franchises come back, especially with Viewable Joe. Um, because like I believe um, we like, talked about this before actually like for like our hopes for 20, uh, for 2019 uh, that we think that possibly uh, that we'll see like a um, like a remaster or, like a collection if you will uh, for switch for beautiful Joe uh, to come out um, especially after they, they came out that Okami HD so yeah,
2: yeah I mean you were talking in the past and while they didn't finalize anything they also left it on the table so they weren't bitter with each other so there's always the right. chance they could team up again for another Okami game maybe a remake of Okami Kami Den from the yeah. handheld days, as well Absolutely. as the beautiful Joe remaster. I mean, th- there's possibilities endless there so I mean fingers crossed that they'll figure something out but I mean like Clover before they became platinum they were known for a number of these hit franchises and then when they became platinum you know Vanquish and Bayonetta and yeah you know, and, you know wonderful 101 which I love to see on the switch mm-hmm. people think I'm crazy but I, I liked it okay it was a good game but yeah <laughs> I mean, the spirit of Clover
1: is very much alive in platinum today for oh sure. yeah
2: you could totally see that and they're, they're a studio that that's built more for cults you could tell because Microsoft wasn't happy with scale balance. <laughs> exactly it exactly. was built more for like a cult status sort of deal.
1: So exactly, yeah. Uh, Pat, I don't know if you had like any, any particular favorite like cult studios you wanted to share.
3: Oh yeah, um, are you guys familiar with Indie Built at all?
1: Indie Built, I don't think I've I know that. Of, one. I've
2: heard of them, but yeah, it's been a while.
1: So Indie Built um,
3: eventually got bought by uh, Microsoft, and then Microsoft sold it to 2K Games. But this was a this was a development from like 1983 on to like 2003 that basically paid their bills with golf games mm. so like uh, the whole links series on the pc was the best selling pc golf game of all time and they ended up only making one one links game for the xbox remember that. For the yeah, original xbox right? and uh it was it was an online golf game in 2004 you can import your own soundtracks you can create a guy it was just like super fun and they uh, the game sold well which like. You know, I think I'm pretty sure it sold over a quarter million copies for a golf game on the Xbox. That's pretty solid. Mm. Um, and uh, they were all they were like 80% finished with uh, 2005, and then 2K they got bought by Take Two, which is you know obviously a part of 2K Sports, and then 2K Sports just killed them.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah.
3: So it's just it's kind of like the and then uh, a lot of the developers just kind of like went on to do different things, and like uh, these are the same guys that ended up doing like the Top Spin series, Amped. You know, so they they had their hand in like a lot of quality like sports games on the Xbox, which there aren't there aren't a lot of. But um, the main programmer Mark Mac- Mark MacArthur actually uh, worked on the Disney Infinity series mm. too before that got the kibosh. So they have like a rich history. They produced a lot of quality developers, but they never got the love that they should have got. Their golf games are excellent. So our our parents probably played the crap out of them, you know. Like, on the PC when we were sleeping, their Windows computers back in, like, 1995 and stuff. But uh, it's just crazy because they had so much success. And then uh, you would think being bought out by 2K. Like, 2K doesn't have a golf game.
1: Right, yeah. And for some
3: reason, 2K just killed it. And uh, I just spoke to the developer, uh, Mark MacArthur, for the, the one of the next books that I'm writing. And he was just like, he would love to continue the series. He worked on it for over a decade of his life. And then just one day, they were just like, yeah, it's over. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of scary. Like the business, you know, I'm sure you guys weren't expecting me to say a golf game. But I'm telling you, it's like some of these guys, they just... They focused their, on t- their entire life on, like, one thing. And for, for that team, that's what they did. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's pretty wild. It is
2: disheartening when you see, like, a developer make so many innovations one way and then have to go another. And one that really comes to mind is Rare Limited. Um, here's a studio that, you know, made games like, you know, Banjo-Kazooie, Battletoads. Obviously, Battletoads Conker bad for a <laughs> day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all these great games. And then they p- picked up by Microsoft. And it's not like they did bad games after that, but they were more mainstream. You know, we got Connect Sports, we got Sea of Thieves, you know. <laughs> grab by the Ghoulies, by grab, grab, grab yeah, the Ghoulies. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't even get a grab by the Ghoulies. You know, it was just, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying their work stinks anymore. It's just, you could tell it's a different direction. You could tell it's not yeah. quite where they wanted to go. But, I mean. It's, so,
3: it's so funny that you mentioned that because, like, I interviewed Chris Seaver for my next book. And he talks about Conker's bed for a day, working with rare on that game and all the creative freedom that he had. And then he talks about, in another chapter, um, doing Conker's alive and reloaded and how different it was mm. to work for Microsoft. And, um, he had a lot of fun at Microsoft's expense. I'll like kind of leave it at that. Like he, uh, the names of characters were essentially like curses and then Microsoft found out and they made him change it. So then he made them acronyms of curses and then they didn't find out. So (laughs) like he, uh, he legitimately went out of his way to like break Microsoft's balls because they weren't giving him the creative freedom that he had when he was with rare.
1: Yeah. I mean, I got like a sense of that too. Like when I had like my, my interview with, uh, with, with Grant Kirkhope actually. And like him talking about like after like the buyout from, uh, from like Microsoft, and mm-hmm. uh, just how much like the culture kind of changed, and it, it was actually like on the verge of changing, really, even before the buyout. But when Microsoft actually bought Rare at that point, they didn't realize that Rare was already kind of like on this like downward slope, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, with with what like you know with what with what Microsoft did as far as like. Um, Enacting, I guess, like their business model. And it's not really Microsoft's fault, really, in that sense. But at the same time, they they didn't really help with the situation as far as like you know, rare kind of getting themselves back to like where that they needed to be before the buyout.
3: One of the things Chris sievers told me was that um at the end of the day, Microsoft doesn't need to care about games nearly as much mm-hmm. as like Nintendo. Hundred percent, yeah. You know, and that's that's what he said is like his biggest problem with microsoft that like if the xbox fails which it's not going to but you know if it fails completely it's not the end of the world for microsoft right but if like a nintendo console doesn't do well nintendo has to go back to the drawing board and they're they're in some deep trouble Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so it's something to think about
1: the Xbox brand is, like, such a huge part of, like, Microsoft's portfolio now at this point. But you're definitely mm-hmm. right as far as, like, you know, with, like, Microsoft, they have so many different parts of, like, their business that, like, it's not mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world for them, unlike with, like, Nintendo, where, like, they're all about games, games, games.
2: Mm-hmm. So, for sure. Yep, Yeah, but, I mean, like, we definitely changed it in time where marketability plays more of a factor. We're not really seeing too many chances like we did in previous generations. And a couple of games come to mind just popped in there. Um, the first one is this old Koi game called Gitteroo Man which i thought was oh, yeah. really mm-hmm. fun music yep. rhythm game with like one of the most innovative soundtracks ever there and they sure. didn't bring it back you know they, they, they brought it back what for a PSP release Get Room Lives I believe it was and mm-hmm. then that's mm-hmm. it you know it's like we didn't get like follow ups, but we'll get like 19 Dynasty Warriors games for some reason that, that <laughs> makes perfect sense um, you know I'm not done picking on them Dead or Alive 6 is coming and it looks to actually focus more on the fighting than the cheesecake which is nice but I mean it, it, you know they, they, we don't really see too many chances like that and then you have the old school Enix before they got picked up by Square Enix and what they did with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actraiser. Um yeah, Actraiser yeah. was a tour de force because it was like part action and kind of like Part planning out it was so good with, with planning mm-hmm. out like what you're doing in terms of bringing life back. I mean, Akirazer took took more of an action approach, and some fans liked that, and some didn't. But just the fact that the original game existed and had so much innovation going for it. I mean, nowadays, you know, Square Enix excellent soundtrack, yeah, too. yeah for Shira, for sure. exactly. And uh, nowadays, you just don't see that. You know, Square Enix they're too busy with their Avengers games or Shadow of the Tomb Raider. And, I mean, not that they're bad games, but obviously they don't take a chance. Where not? I mean, unless you are in the indie league, you really don't see too many developers taking like a cult style chance on a game genre. Which is why I am happy to see games like you know the Messenger or Y two K or just something different that stands out there. You know,
1: yeah. I mean, with with, like Square Enix, like they're they're taking more of like a role as like a publisher these days. So Mm -hmm. that's. that's, I mean, you could say the same thing
3: for like Capcom and Konami and all these places that just they wowed us in the eight and sixteen bit era. And even on the PlayStation, I mean, Konami produced some wonderful games for the original PlayStation, but mm-hmm. then after the PlayStation 2, it just, away from Metal Gear, it just hasn't been the same.
2: Like I said, it, it is great to see, like, up-and-coming developers try to do stuff with, with theirs, but yeah, I mean, it's, it just seems like the only way we would see a lot of developers take chances is if it's on their own, you know? It just, I mean, mm-hmm. every once in a while, we do see, like, you know, a green light for something. I was thrilled when Microsoft greenlit A New Battletoads. Because yeah, um, I'm an avid yeah. fan. You know, David knows I'm an avid
1: fan. <laughs> you know, even mm-hmm. custom
2: controllers, they made a controller that I suggested and I'm like, okay, just send it to my house. That's great <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mean, that's that's very seldom these days. Usually when when something is announced, it's something that relies on more of a marketable value. I mean, there was even news tonight. You know how there was this new Star Wars game that was going to come out from EA. Originally, Visceral Games worked on it. Then they got closed down, and it handed to EA Vancouver. Now the game has been canceled completely because they had no idea what they wanted to do with it. Back in the days of Lucasfilm, they could have made something like Super Star Wars or Rogue mm-hmm. Squadron or, or Thirteen Thirteen. They could have taken it a number of directions. But now, I mean, that's like back when
1: they had like more more, more faith in like single player games and like yeah. games that, do, that, that that don't rely on loot boxes and microtransactions and all that. Yeah, so, and
2: I would yeah. have loved to seen Thirteen. 13 because that would have been a nice cult classic a mature rated mm-hmm. star wars game i mean like that yeah. footage
1: that we saw like like ages ago like that that, that looked awesome it awesome. did look I
2: awesome like... and, and then they trashed it in favor of something else i don't know but,
1: yeah i mean
2: we, we just don't see games that take chances like um I'm going to bring up even Knights of the Old Republic, KOTOR. The way its storytelling Mm. went, the way its battles went, Mm -hmm. you know, that was. It wasn't based on
1: on like a movie at all either. Right.
2: It was based on the lore, and it became such an important part of the lore that, you know, BioWare tried to repeat the progress with the Old Republic, but because it was online only, it didn't do it. So, again, marketability. So,
3: mm. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing when you think about it, because, I mean, if I have to play a Call of Duty every year, but I get an opportunity to play something like Hollow Knight or Celeste, Mm -hmm. then I'll deal with that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it just means like you, you guys nailed it. The, the real like creative visions are now on the indie in the indie realm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because the games in the indie realm are cheaper, you know, and uh, the developers are more gracious and they, they speak to the media more and we learn more about creative processes and stuff like that. We learn far more about video games by, You know, working with indie developers than we ever would working with the non-disclosure agreement world of a AAA developer. Mm -hmm. You know, and
2: I I appreciate those indie folks. That's why I look forward to like every pack show that I can go to, just going around and talking to these guys about their inspirations and everything like that. Sure, even games like you wouldn't even expect to be any good. You play it, I'm like, well, okay, when is it coming out? great i
1: take it right mm-hmm. right yep i mean absolutely i mean i mean even, even that game that like i mentioned earlier in the show uh with y2k a postmodern rpg uh mm-hmm. like how like it's it's clearly influenced by by earthbound but also by like various other old school rpgs like the, even, even in the game itself it mentions like games like chrono trigger and like you know so on and so forth like it mentions like a like list of games um just like as, as like the characters kind of like talking in like a real world kind of like setting and um it's it's just you know, it's very clearly like the developers kind of like pointing out as like these are the things that like influence us, but this is like our own game and our own vision for like what this mm-hmm. style of game should be today.
2: Yeah. I mean, I really, really hope that the indie beat continues on because these guys really, they really are getting um, that vibe going again in terms of excitement going in the game. Not that the triple A stuff doesn't excite us. It's just, you know, when you see like an indie release come out of nowhere, just shaking you up. I remember like a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about horizon shift 81, uh, this game from flump studios. And it's, a nutty arcade shooter. It's done by pretty much by one guy. It's a game that takes you off guard. And I could see this for a few years now being a cult classic too. Just, you know, people like, Hey, do you remember when this came out? I'd be like, no, well, it's still in the store. It's only like five bucks. Oh, well I'll go get it. You know? And then all of a sudden yeah. the water spreads.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's usually kind of like what makes like a cult classic, really. And I think I think Patrick really kind of, hit, you know, hit, hit the nail on the head, really, uh, in terms of saying that, like, you know, a cult classic game or a cult classic studio, like, you know, in any case, uh, is like anything that is of kind of like high quality or is kind of like known to be... You know, like, su- you know, of, of, of such high quality, like within like the gaming circles, like you know, in this particular case with, uh, you know, with, uh, with Cult Classic Games, um, but just didn't have like the sales really to kind of back that up or to like prompt like a sequel to come out, um, you know, in most cases anyway. Like, I
3: just think of like perfect example, perfect uh, example of a cult developer, like di- di- uh, Digital Devolver, like a hmm. Miami Hotline. Oh, I devolver Digital Hotline came out. Hotline yeah. Miami, devolver yeah. Yeah. Digital, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know? And that game just completely caught me off guard with its storytelling and its, its, the its Miami, yeah. blood and yeah, you know, it's just doing something that maybe other people have done, but going that extra that extra step, you know, that a AAA developer might not. Yeah, they've you know? done that with so, a lot of
2: their releases too, like Enter the Gungeon. Uh, they have this mm-hmm. game coming up called Ape Out that looks ridiculous, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like I would say, if like for me, Enter the Gungeon was like. I don't know. That was like my game of like the year when that came out. Like, and I still play it every so often today. Like, it's just like one of those games that still kind of still sticks with me. Much like with um, what was it? Uh, with Game Freaks. Um what was it oh god um pocket car jockey oh <laughs> the, god you the forgot dying. the name it so of it i'm telling yeah.
2: you yeah <laughs> how could you forget but the name oh
1: man but it, it, i feel like it's a game that, like a lot of people may have like missed out on because like it, you know it only came out for 3ds so there's just kind of like a stealth release i feel like in a lot of ways but yeah, like it, I,
3: re- I reviewed that for examiner oh did you oh my god yeah
1: oh okay, well i'm uh-huh. definitely very curious to hear your take on it then I,
3: I loved it yeah i just thought like uh it has that it has exactly what you want out of a game it's it's easy to learn but difficult to master yeah you know and i love the art style um races get really frenetic i mean your hands sweat a little bit while you're playing you know oh, and yeah. uh yeah man that was that was one of those games that i was not expecting to be a, as good as it turned out to be so it's absolutely a cool game
1: i mean like, that's that that's one game that like i really hope to see like get like a switch port of some sort honestly mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's just that good honestly yeah sure um, so, like Patrick, like obviously you have your book, uh, which which is out now. Uh, called call like, the Minds mm-hmm. Behind the Game. So, can can you tell like, the audience out there like about like uh, you know about, you know about the book and like how it kind of ties into like cult gaming and all that?
3: Yeah. So essentially, it's an interview anthology. So it's thirty six chapters, and each chapter focuses on a different game that is either a cult game, a classic game, or a really freaking cool indie game. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I speak to the developer and I get them to tell me how the game was made, but also like where they were in their life at the time, like where they were actually making the game or or, like everything that you would ever want to know about a game. So like NBA Jam, Mark Turmel talks to me about how like Shaquille O'Neal used to take the game on the road with him and bring it to like hotels and like members of like the (laughs) Orlando magic would play games of NBA Jam for like thousands of dollars. I heard the story. Yeah. That's
1: crazy. You know? (laughs)
3: And like, um, for WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game, like the undertaker refused to do his mocap unless he had alcohol, you know? (laughs) So so like each chapter has like a really unique story about the game that isn't on, on Wikipedia that isn't anywhere on the web. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, Brian Mazik from Forbes, he got to read the book before I released it. And he said that each chapter reads like, uh, its own personal ESPN 30 for 30. So, uh, that really like hit home with me, but it's just like, it's a lot of fun. It's down to earth. You don't have to read the book in order, but it's got a really nice, um, a really nice like montage of like Atari 2600 games, PlayStation games, PlayStation two games, steam games, indie games, mobile games. So, um, it's a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun, um, writing it. And, uh, just two weeks ago I signed a deal to write at least three more books in the series. So, uh, I guess everything is all well on that uh, on that front.
1: Yeah, it's awesome, man! Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. And um, so I'm guessing like it would be kind of like a volume one, volume two, volume three kind kind of deal, basically with that.
3: Well, so the thing is the first book has like a little bit of everything. It, you know, sports games, it's got like NHL 93, NHL, NHL PA 93, NHL 94. Um, It's got like a boy in his blob, um, ET, NBA Jam, um, The Wasteland, um, Night Trap. So it's got like a little bit of everything. So what my publisher wanted me to do was uh, for the second book, they wanted me to write a book that focuses only on adventure games. Mm, okay. So, uh, so but the thing is though too I take adventure as a game that like tells a story that takes you on an adventure you know so it's definitely going to be a combination of platformers beat ups like uh point and click something like that point and click side scroll so like I even put Parappa the Rapper in there mm, because okay. even though it's a rhythm game that game is all about the adventure
1: sure yeah you know
3: so uh it's going to have a pretty um wild list of of games so like I could tell you like right now, the stuff that I have uh, confirmed is pretty sexy. So, um, <laughs> so like Keystone Capers, um, Parappa the Rapper, Grand Theft Auto, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Epic Mickey, Pitfall, X Men Legends, Conquerors Bad for a Day, Soulbringer, Dun- uh, Double Dragon, West of Loathing, Maximum Carnage.
2: Mm.
3: Um, yeah, there's a lot of really crazy games in there. Ah, uh, Croc. Which oh, sold three million yeah. copies. Yeah, you know, um, and that I'm not sure if you guys know the story behind Croc, but no. Croc was originally supposed to be like a Yoshi platformer.
1: Mm, okay. I can and see what that. happened
3: was, uh, Nintendo. Uh, what happened was, uh, the company that was developing it, they pitched it to Nintendo, and they're like, "Listen, we we can make you like this game. This could be like a Yoshi-centric game," and uh, they were like, "No, no, thank you." So they had somebody on their team redesign, like, the main character, and that's how they came up with Croc. So the thing is, everyone talks smack about Croc because they say it's so similar to Mario 64, but it was actually in development way before Mario See, 64. Yeah,
2: people wouldn't be talking crap about Croc if they ever played Bubsy 3D, because that game deserves to be crap about, so just saying.
3: That, that's the first book in the series. It's all adventure games. And then, mm-hmm. um, that manuscript I have to have in in May. So I'm really, like, cranking it out but then after that i'm gonna do a sports centric book just sports games and so far already like i have like the original john madden the original nba shootout um wcw nwo revenge on the 64 which is the best-selling wrestling game on the nintendo 64 nice um tony Hawk uh pro skater three which to me is the best game in the series um the original FIFA, Mutant League Hockey, um, pride, pride Fighting Championships, like Lakers versus Celtics and the NBA playoffs, which is like the OG, like electronic arts basketball game. So I get to speak to all of these developers and they tell me their story. It's like you can't do it any better you know than that. Um, yeah.
2: I, I'd add one more in there just because of its footnotes. NFL game day, mm-hmm. because back when this game came out for the original PlayStation, it was done with such high quality that it forced EA to cancel their Madden game for PlayStation. And then up, 96 never came out on the PlayStation yeah, because a lot of people were freaking out over the quality of Sony's games. And lo and behold, mm-hmm. like the year following, you know, EA's Madden was amazing. And NFL game day, kinda, it went away a few years later, like when it first debuted on PlayStation 2, it was so damn forgettable. It was like went the opposite way. It was gonna I've
3: definitely reached out to the game day people before. And uh, one of the developers too was for game day 98, because that was like, I'm not sure if you remember, but game day and game day 97 were still like kind of sprite oriented. Um, yeah. but game day 98 was like, the first like polygonal like football game, and it looks so goddamn good when it first came out. So I reached out to that developer. I haven't heard back from him yet, but I'm pretty annoying, so uh, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty comfortable that I'm gonna get back to somebody. But I, I just want to let you guys know that for that book, the story of the original Madden is so freaking good that um you will never look at like the Madden series the same way like ever again. You'll just mm. be like, holy crap, these guys were so freaking good at what they did and how they influenced the uh, the rest of the uh, gaming environment around them and the other companies that took notice of what they were doing. It's like Electronic Arts... Is kind of looked at as, like, the, you know, the evil, like, you know, empire now. But, like, they they did some amazing work in the beginning that totally changed the landscape of the video game industry. I, I yeah. agree.
2: You know, like, there's stuff with Mutant League Hockey and all, all these Sega Genesis games that came out at the time. They really did innovate and everything. But then, you know, as we saw, like, the, the video game revolution kind of move on. They move more into the marketing side of things rather than ideas. Yeah.
1: The book that you have here, Patrick, um, is uh, The mind Be- the, the Minds Behind the Games, Interviews with cult and Classic Video Game Developers. So um, I, I believe that's on like uh, on like Amazon and various other like booksellers out there, right?
3: It's on Amazon, Target, Walmart, Books a Million, Indigo. You can also buy the book from my website, Jr. com. And uh, there's a link to buy it. And the cool thing is, if you buy it from my site, what's going to happen is you're going to shoot me an email, and you're obviously going to pay me. And then I'm going to go, thank you for ordering the book. And then I'm gonna be like, tell me a little bit about yourself. So if, like, you tell me you're from, you know, uh, Wisconsin or whatever. I'm not going to stick a piece of cheese in your book. But, uh, <laughs> I'm going to look <laughs> for you like need a green
2: bookmark. Bacon. Come
3: on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're definitely you're definitely gonna get a bookmark. Um, but I'm gonna look for like some Green Bay Packers football cards or something like that. Like, so I've had customers from all over the world, all over the country, and I've always found a way. Like, if they tell me they're a Pokemon fan, I go to like GameStop and I get like those legendary, you know, the legendary card giveaway. So the person. The trading cards. Yeah. yeah, you know, like cool stuff like that to to just um, I really want to have a connection with my. With my audience, I love when like readers message me or they take selfies of the book with and send it to me. Like that stuff like makes my day. So, mm-hmm. with at least three more books on the way, like I'm totally uh, committed to building the brand and kind of opening the door to to tell the stories of, of these video games. Because I mean, I'm I'm happy that I'm on the podcast because you guys see video games the same way that I see them as as art you know as so much more than than just kid stuff and being a college professor for over a decade i I caught a lot of flack from a lot of professors that were like why are you writing about video games (laughs) Um, they all like yeah like like just tight asses like why are you writing about video games and i'm just like you know 60 70 years ago one of like you know our our, what's it called you know um co-workers could have said that they wanted to write about film and somebody would have said the same thing but nobody would second guess anybody that wanted to write about the history of film now so it's like i really feel like i'm doing uh like god's work so to speak yeah like, like 50 60 years from now people are gonna go oh yeah that game that game influenced this and that game influenced this oh some fat white guy wrote it wrote the history of uh of all <laughs> of these games you know so yeah. as of right now the book is in over 50 college universities around the world, and uh, it's in the Library of Congress. It's wow. in like libraries of schools like UCLA, UC Berkeley, Michigan, NYU, um, Stanford. So I really feel like it's made an impact, and I'm just getting started.
1: That's so cool, man. Yeah it kind of just just goes to show like how far that the medium has like you know ha- you know has gone like, like over the years but how much more still has like to go really to kind of earn that respectability i feel like across the board like, absolutely from everyone from, from all walks of life but yeah like you know, th- that's kind of like, v- like a very similar type of thing like with like you know with like, you know with like video games with like comic books like you know just kind of gaining that like respect and like how how much influence that these mediums like have really uh with like all sorts of other mediums out there and like you know as, as people are becoming like content creators themselves like with you you know with you creating books and like you know with various other people making like their own games or making music or movies or whatever it might be and it's all kind of like influenced really by like the stuff that we grew up with um it it just kind of goes to show that like you know games you know comic books like all sorts of things that we grew up with uh, are kind of becoming like almost like the new like you know shakespeare in a lot of ways you know
3: absolutely i mean like comic books are really like the the greek myths of our society now and it's like could you imagine hollywood now Without comic books and video games, that's where mm-hmm. they steal all their ideas from now.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So
3: there hasn't been an original thought in Hollywood in twenty years, and that person was probably like, you know, Weinstein, and look how that ended up, you know. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. So again, people can find uh, your your book and all of your work basically on patrickickeyjr.com. Mm-hmm. And um, where can people go? I'll also like to find you on um, on like social media.
3: So I'm on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash junior I'm on Twitter at reviewfix because I'm also the editor in chief of and owner of uh, reviewfix.com. I'm also on uh, I'm also a contributor for Old School uh, Gamer Magazine. But uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, I'm at Patrick Hickey Jr. And I'm a talker, so like if you guys read the book and you want to talk and stuff like that, like let's do it. I'm totally down. I got um, I wouldn't say I'm like the uh, who's the developer of uh, of what is it Limbo? What is it, Jonathan Blow?
1: Oh yeah, oh is it Jonathan Blow. I think Jonathan Blow did like The Witness. I know. But he's like he's like crazy. Like
3: if somebody reviews like his, write like thousand word like you know critique of their review. But it's but it's like I don't do that. But I just like I love to get in minds and see like how like my writing affected them so you know if you read the book and you have some things that you want to say or things that you want to see in another book like reach out to me like the whole reason why i got Croc in the book is that i was on another podcast and somebody reached out to me and they were like oh you know what about Croc?" and i'm just like oh shit all right let me look up the developer and i did and i messaged him and he was like yeah i would love to talk to you so you know so yeah
1: that's awesome, yeah. Mm-hmm. So definitely pick up like the book again, "The Minds Behind the Games: Interviews with Cult and Classic Video Game Developers" by Patrick Hickey Jr. So, uh, thanks, thanks again for like speaking with yeah, us.
2: Yeah, no problem, guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I believe you have a game code to give away here, Robert.
2: I do. Um, I. Figured, you know, while we're talking about cult classics, uh, one series that comes to mind for me is R-Type, because obviously stuff like R-Type Final, R-Type Delta, games like that really stand out. Well, there's a Steam release called R-Type Dimensions EX. Uh, this is, of course, based on the uh, classic Xbox 360 PlayStation 3 game with the games remastered by Tozal Games, uh, featuring both R-Type and R-Type 2. You can play the original versions or you can play remastered versions and switch between the two with a press of a button. This game is really neat. Uh, We gave it a Switch version previously, and I think we gave it another Steam code as well, but I have one more Steam code for you here. The code is 9NHJQHB4V4PHBGR. That's R-Type Dimensions EX on Steam, and enjoy. Choose your character.
1: And that's going to lead us now to the part of the show called Random Select. So this is a yes or no 15-question game to guess which video game character that Robert is this week. Um, so I believe, like, last time that we tried to do this, uh, it was me doing Random Select, and you guys got, um, you know, got, got very quickly, actually, Kid Dracula.
3: <laughs> so That was a part of
1: my,
2: my sexiness.
1: Yes, indeed, indeed. So we'll see, like, how quickly. <laughs> Keep in mind, in
2: our first taping there, you also did the voice, it's my sexiness. That's, yes, it's indeed.
1: it's,
0: it's, it's more sexiness. And then we had like
2: a contest, like Rub robber Can you do a darker voice? I'm like, yeah, I could do a darker voice.
0: Yeah, I can do
3: a darker voice. There you go. One man, one way, one tampon, soldier boy. <laughs> <God> damn it! <laughs> the soldier tampon coming soon. I'll get you next time, tampon.
1: Oh, no, I'll G- <laughs> 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 you You right, guys so, are
2: weird. All right, so it's so, my choice. So it's your slash. turn here, Robert. Yes, And absolutely. hopefully, hopefully, I'll stump the band like you did with Nero. You son of a. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So indeed. it is. It is somebody we mentioned during this show. So. You guys have 15 guesses. If after the first five, you don't get who it is, I give a first clue. If after the next five, you don't get it, I give a second clue. After the, th- the third five, if you still don't get it, then as Julian say, it's game over. And that's
1: Indeed. it. You know. <laughs> uh, David, <laughs> over. R- hey, you, you do it better than I do. <laughs> All right,
2: so let's get started, guys. What do we got? Yeah.
1: Um, I'll, I'll throw out like the first question here. Uh, is your character in a Smash Brothers game? No. Okay
3: is it a hunk?
2: Is it a hunk? Could you maybe just, what is it? <laughs> well, I think oh, I think he's I, asking
1: if it's like hunk from from Resident oh, Evil. Oh, is that what you're asking or are yes, you asking it, yes. Okay.
2: No. Okay.
1: Mm, okay. Go for the home run hits here. Yeah, that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, are you a male character? Yes. Okay.
3: Okay. Um is it Soldier Boy? No. <laughs>
2: No, I'm surprised you didn't ask, does he have 480p resolution? (laughs) You still can if you want, but no, it's not Soldier Boy.
1: Okay. No, no. Um, Let me see. Is that 4 right there, I think? Yep. Mm -hmm. 4. Okay. Um, Let me think. Uh, Do you use a weapon? Yes. Okay.
2: And that's 5. So the first clue is the things I do for love.
1: The things I do for love. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it Travis?
2: No, that's <laughs> mm. six. No, it's not Travis.
1: Not Travis touchdown. Okay, um, things I do for love. Um, are you on a place? Mm, let me see. Did you originate on the PS One?
2: No. Okay. Mm.
3: Are you uh, are are you ported on any consoles?
1: Yes. Mm. Okay. Um. Does Capcom own the rights to you? No. Okay. (laughs) That takes off Clover Games for sure. Yeah, that's where
3: I was going to. The things I do for love.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I think I might know. Um. Are you you gonna take my spot? Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, no, 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 know no, because um, uh, the person I'm thinking of is in Smash Brothers, so it's not them. So okay. Yeah. Go ahead.
3: So it's not anything I do for love, but I won't do that. It's not me. <laughs> it's not me <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Aw."
1: laughs> but I won't do that. <laughs>
0: I won't do anything for love by another star in black dog. <laughs> I,
3: I wonder don't. what it, I wonder what it was he wouldn't.
2: I don't know, but we get back to the game <laughs> yeah. I don't want to think about meatloaf movies now. I really don't. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, oh, oh! Okay, I think I might know okay, what this is now. What is it? Um, are you in a QTE game? Yes. Okay. And that's ten. <laughs> that's yeah. ten.
2: And then they'll probably get it after this. My second clue is actions speak louder than words.
1: Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you have the ear Pat, or you want me to take the honors? Go ahead. Go ahead. Are you Dirk the Daring? Yes. There oh, you yeah. go. <laughs> nice.
2: nice job. Nice job. Yeah, I mean, Dragon's considering there he, goes, he goes after a dragon in the first game mm-hmm. and an evil wizard in second game through time, yeah, he, he really loves Princess Daphne, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he
1: doesn't talk much either. So, he re- yeah. really
2: doesn't. So, yeah, I, I figured you were going to come around to it, but seriously, Soulja Boy? He's not even a Soulja game boy. character. <laughs> what the hell? That would have no. been fun, though. Come on. That, that was yeah. not sexy. I'm sorry. That We had <laughs> Charles Barkley one time, though. Yeah, and, and, and I clearly said that was terrible. So. Terribly,
3: yes, indeed it is. <laughs> Did you guys actually talk about shut up and jam? Is that what you were doing? Yeah, I think much. so. Yeah, yeah, I pretty sure. so bad I wouldn't yeah. wipe my uh, tampon with that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> How are we back on the tam? Don't, don't actually, don't answer that. Never mind. <laughs> are, are just, you, just never mind. Are you married?
3: Are you married at all?
2: why am I telling you? I'm not going <laughs> to... Because
3: because if you're married, you've been there before. You're very well acquainted with... I'm not your, married, your, and that's the thing. now you kind of I'm want
1: me not you. to be married. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm telling you. It's, it's, a, it's a life-changing moment when you go into Rite Aid. The minute you, you know. say I do, it's yep. over.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you okay. well with that that is episode 145 <laughs> in the books and uh, you can find our cast on twitter at Arc podcast same thing for facebook or at facebook.com slash podcast and you can find me on twitter at the guilty man find
2: me on twitter at twitter.com slash the dcd also a quick word that uh, next week's show is going to be special because I'm going to have interviews from the mortal combat reveal event which takes place this week so be sure to listen for next week's show for that and uh, you know if you also like gaming stuff check out my work at combat bookcom slash gaming and while you're also checking out gaming apps gaming stuff be sure to check out our partner site don't feed the gamers at do that's run by our good buddy leanna Ruppert where her and the team they do fan-centric news and reviews in gaming as well as live videos as well uh, if you'd like to send us any feedback opinions retro games topics for us to cover or anything at all really besides tampons uh, you can email <laughs> us at you can email us at our cast at retroap and be sure to also check out retro for all sorts of amazing podcasts especially the Star Wars Wars variety. There's a flagship show, Brews and Blasters, all along with Kanata's Castle and Starship's Neighbors and Scoundrels. There's also Beltway Bontas, which combines both Star Wars and politics. So, if you're somebody of both minds, that's definitely the show for you. There's also the Arnimania cast, if you're an Animaniacs fan, the Deuce cast for all you movie buffs out there, and the Techno Retro Dads, if you're into a variety of old school stuff, just like the Ardcast. And there's also us with cast. so be sure to find us on iTunes, subscribe. We have five stars, tell your neighbors. We're also on Stitcher, Google Play Music, and Spotify. So, you have absolutely no reason to not follow another retro gaming podcast. Please follow us, and that is episode one forty-five in the books. Until next time, keep it retro and keep your tampons to your damn self because I don't want them around here. There, you guys are weird.
1: So, Pat, if Robert orders your book on his website, will you put in a tampon instead of a bookmark? It'll
2: probably be cheese. <laughs> It'll probably be cheese. Knowing me. Oh Here's, no,
1: it's gonna be the tampon. Who's <laughs> the cheese? And cheese.
3: Oh, my God. No, know there will not be. There will not be any of that in your. book. Thank I, I, God, because, yeah.
2: you know, you, you want the book to sell itself. You don't really need, you don't, you don't really need a tampon to go with this.
3: That, that would be a picture for Instagram, though. It, it would be, yeah. It's, it's awesome. better well, an
2: <laughs> just, just watch, though. It's going to be like one of those weird Pax East parties, and David's like, hey, Robert, let's take a picture with you and a tampon. Like, no. Yes. <laughs> Why? Oh, no. That will
1: happen. That will happen. It will not happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one
2: man, one tampon.
1: Oh Oh, my god Don't do it please
2: We'll see you guys next week Until next time, take care
1: Keep it retro
0: What's up, everyone? I'm Chris from Weekly Games Chat. Along with my co-hosts, Sean and John, we cover the latest video games every Wednesday for your listening pleasure. We also make sure to rant about the latest movies, TV shows, and happenings in the sports world. If you like the show, catch one of our live streams on Twitch, follow us on Twitter, or even take the biggest jump of all and join our community on Discord, all found by simply searching Weekly Games Chat. Until then, I'll simply say Game On!